Hello, my name is Miles Cheadle, and welcome back to another episode of the PS Plus. This is the Living Faith Bible Institute podcast, and it serves as a companion to another podcast called The Postscript. Now on that podcast, pastor and host Brandon Briscoe speaks with other pastors and professors from the Living Faith Bible Institute on a wide array of topics. And here on this podcast at PS Plus, we cover more focused topics in a series format. And right now we're moving through a series focused on the person of Jesus Christ. This is actually our sixth episode in the series. And in our last two episodes, we focused on setting up the earthly ministry of Jesus Christ and viewing his earthly ministry through the vantage point, the lens of him fulfilling his office as a prophet. We discussed that just like Moses and Elijah, Jesus came performing miracles to authenticate his message. And that just like the Old Testament prophets, Jesus came preaching a message of repentance to the nation of Israel. And unfortunately, just like the Old Testament prophets, this was a message that was countercultural and rejected in his day. He communicated with power and authority and with grace and compassion. And today we'll finally examine the last aspect of Jesus's earthly ministry through the lens of a prophet, his death. There are some observations that we can make as we look at the prophets throughout scripture. Unfortunately, one of the observations that tends to be a reoccurring theme is that these prophets are often rejected by the nation of Israel and even killed at their own hands. In 1 Kings 19 verse 10, it says, For the children of Israel have forsaken thy covenant, thrown down thine altars, and slain thy prophets with the sword. This is Elijah saying, I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. In 2 Chronicles 24, verses 20-21, it says, And the Spirit of God came upon Zechariah the son of Jehoiada the priest, which stood above the people, and said unto them, Thus saith God, Why transgress ye the commandments of the Lord, that ye cannot prosper? Because you have forsaken the Lord, he hath also forsaken you. And they conspired against him, and stoned him with stones, at the commandment of the king and the court of the house of the Lord. In 2 Chronicles 36, verses 15 through 16, it says, And the Lord God of their fathers sent to them by his messengers, rising up betimes and sending, because he had compassion on his people and on his dwelling place. But they mocked the messengers of God and despised his word and misused his prophets. In Matthew 5, Jesus says himself, Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you, and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. In Matthew 23 verse 31, Jesus is calling the people out, saying, Wherefore ye be witnesses unto yourselves, 
that ye are the children of them which killed the prophets. In Luke 11:47, it says, Woe unto you, for ye build the sepulchers of the prophets, and your fathers killed them. And so it's very, very clear over and over again in scripture, we see this theme that the prophets were persecuted people and they were even killed at the hands of the Jewish people. The last two episodes, we carved out time revealing that Jesus held the office of a prophet. And as we viewed him through his earthly ministry, he lived out the office of a prophet. And today we will see that he also died in line with the office of a prophet. And yet, his death accomplished so much more. And if you've ever wondered why Bible believers make such a big deal about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, or if you ever came to a church and they were singing about the blood of Christ and you thought that was kind of strange, well, this episode is for you. See, these are really great questions that you should be asking yourself. And we'll be spending time in the next two episodes attempting to unpack them. But today, we really only have two very simple prompts to unpack with the death of Jesus Christ. One, why did he die? And two, how did he die? And so, let's do this thing. So our first prompt is, why did he die? And this is such a big question, and it's a bit of a loaded question, because there's so many different angles to consider here. And so let's just run through a couple of different scenarios. First, we see that Jesus died because the religious leaders rejected him as their Messiah. The religious leaders rejected Jesus as their Messiah. As we read scripture, we find that out of envy, they conspired to kill Jesus before Jesus killed their religious system. They were so, so, I don't know, just consumed with their traditions, with their religion, that they held to that over the word of God, over the the living word of God, over their Messiah. Next, we see that Jesus died because of the Roman officials. I mean, after all, it was them that, that actually crucified him. It was them that allowed for his execution. And so Jesus died because the Roman officials allowed it. Why? Because they feared people over their fear of God. They feared people over their fear of God. Or maybe it was because of the people, you know, it's the people. After all, these people, they chose Jesus to be crucified over Barabbas. They said, give us Barabbas. And so the the people allowed this to happen to Jesus. You know, Barabbas is this beautiful picture of every believer who deserved death. He was guilty and yet he was freed in the death of Christ. So, you know, we see that the Jewish religious leaders were guilty. The Roman officials were guilty. The common people were guilty. But ultimately, you know, Jesus died because of a completely innocent bystander. I mean, Simon, you know, he was just standing there 
and he was ordered to help Jesus carry his cross. And Simon drug his cross up a hill to the place where he would die. And this shows us that none of us are innocent bystanders in the occasion of Christ's death. Literally all of us had a hand in it. Who else can we blame for the the death of Christ? I mean, Adam, that's really Adam's fault, right? It's through Adam that, that sin entered into this world and death and corruption by sin. And so this world had a sin problem that killed Jesus. But really where we want to get is that Jesus died because he gave up the ghost. Guys, a sobering consideration in all this is that no man could take Jesus's life. Do you know that? Jesus, his life wasn't taken. He voluntarily gave it up. It was an offering. Jesus gave his life as an offering to deal with the sin of the world. And so no one needs to pity Christ. His life didn't lay in the balance of any man's hands. Jesus gave up the ghost. Look at Luke 23. Look at John 10. Look at Matthew 27. Jesus, he is the meekest man that ever walked this earth. And so often we confuse weakness with meekness. You see, Jesus, he was in control every step of the way. And I think this is such an important consideration to frame the death of Christ. Jesus chose death for you. And listen up. Now you have a choice because of his death, burial, and resurrection to choose to live a crucified life in return, to be a living sacrifice, to live is Christ, to die is gain. This is the decision that you get to make because Jesus, death, burial, and resurrection. Will you choose a crucified life as well? And so let's consider how. How did Jesus die? How did all this go down? The simple answer as we study out John's gospel is that his hour came. There were multiple points throughout the ministry of Jesus where people sought to kill him. People wanted to take him, to stone him for blasphemy. But his time hadn't come yet. And so he'd just simply pass through the midst of the crowd. But now it was during the Passover week. And Jesus, he entered into Jerusalem with the crowds acknowledging him as Messiah, screaming, Hosanna, Hosanna, that the Lamb of God, which John the Baptist acknowledges taking away the sins of the world, would finally become the Passover lamb. In Matthew 26, we see that Jesus was betrayed by Judas with a famous kiss, and he was turned over to the religious leaders, and Jesus would go through three rounds of trials by the religious Jews, three rounds of trials by the Roman officials, before being determined innocent by Pilate, and still sentenced to death by crucifixion as the people declared his blood be on us and on our children. Can you imagine this same crowd just days before they were welcoming Jesus into Jerusalem, singing Hosanna, and now they're screaming, crucify him. Will you allow the crowds to determine your position on Jesus? You say no, but man, how fickle are we? Tossed to and fro 
with the opinions of this world. You know, it's interesting in John 19, verse 13, it says that Pilate sat down in the judgment seat. And immediately this makes me think of the judgment seat of Christ. And yet in this moment, it was inversed. Pilate is casting judgment on Christ. Isn't that a a wild thought? And yet each and every one of us stands in the very same position. Jesus stands before us and we have all the evidence that we need. And he calls us to make a judgment. What will you do with the person of Christ? This one decision is the most important decision that anyone can make. It impacts your eternity. And ultimately, every man will stand before Christ with him as judge. Can you imagine these men that were presiding over the trials of Christ? One day, they will stand before him receiving judgment by his hand. Next, we see the most humiliating atrocity to ever take place on the planet Earth. In Matthew 27, verses 27 through 31, it reads, Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus in the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers. And they stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe. And they had plaited a crown of thorns. They put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and they mocked him saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit upon him and took the reed and smote him on the head. And after that had mocked him, they took their robe off him and put on, put his own raiment on him. And they led him away to crucify him. Here the people, they, they crowned their king with thorns. It was a fitting crown. You see, these thorns, they came as a result of the curse of sin. We see them mentioned for the first time in Genesis chapter 3, verse 17, as God is is dealing with the sin of man and cursed the ground. Jesus, he was crowned king of a cursed earth and a cursed kingdom. And Jesus, he became a curse for this world. It was fitting that his crown of thorns be driven into his head, that this curse would cause his innocent blood to be shed. In Luke 23, as Jesus walked to his place of death, it says that the daughters of Jerusalem bewailed and lamented. They're devastated as Jesus is walking to his death. And rather than being consumed with himself, Jesus, turning unto them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. You see, in his death, Jesus was not worried about his own suffering. He wasn't worried about his own circumstances. He was worried about the coming tribulation for Israel. Again, he was unaffected by his circumstances. Instead, he was full of care for the welfare of others. Is this how you lead? Finally, we see the crucifixion. Jesus was hung on a tree between two criminals. 
He would have nails pierced to his wrists, nails pierced to his legs. The crowds, they just watched in pity as a creator of the universe was beaten to a bloody pulp, not recognizable. Jesus would have been in excruciating pain, refusing to take any sedatives. Crucifixion was designed to be torturous. It was a slow and a painful death where ultimately you die of asphyxiation, where you can't breathe anymore. But the most horrific moment was when the father turned his face away. As Jesus became our sin and allowed the judgment of God to be poured out on him as he willingly gave up the ghost. In a moment, just like that, he died. And the veil was torn. In the temple, you know, this veil, it restricted access. It shielded people from the very presence of God. Before, access to God had to be covered to the nature of his holiness. And in a moment, our sin was covered. And access to God was restored. You know, we're, we're coming close to the, the, the end of this session. And I think it's worth clarifying that Jesus, he, he really died, right? These aren't just poetic statements. This isn't just some fun literary analysis. Jesus, the person of Jesus Christ, he died a literal death. And I have to clarify this. I have to state this because there are so many skeptics out there that want to explain away his resurrection. And the easiest way to do that is just to assume that he never died to begin with. But this was a public execution carried out by professional killers. In John 19, we see a further confirmation of Christ's death after giving up the ghost as one of the soldiers with spear in hand pierced Christ's side and forthwith came throughout blood. This beautiful picture of the living word, a one-time covering for every believer and also water spilled out of his side. This picture of the written word, a daily cleansing for the life of every believer. In LFBI, you know, we, we can't lose sight uh, of, of really why I'm doing this. I'm a student in LFBI, and I've been privileged enough to walk through, you know, the, the gospel of Matthew with Pastor Sam and to go through the New Testament survey and to walk through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and to walk through the life of Christ with Pastor Dan Renault. And, and I've taken away some beautiful insights from all these classes. And in the Life of Christ class that Pastor Dan Renault teaches, he makes a really beautiful application to the piercing of Christ's side. In this class, Dan states that Jesus was pierced when he was already dead. It's a very simple observation, but it's very profound. And he says that this world, it continues to stab our crucified Savior. But guess what? It didn't hurt him because he was already dead. And y'all, this world, it will poke and stab at you too. Because they want to know if you're dead. And the only way to move forward unaffected by the poking and the jesting of this world is to reckon yourself dead with Christ. In Galatians 2, 20, 
Paul puts it so beautifully. He says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. In the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. So, as we come to a close, I want to thank you for listening to another episode of the PS Plus. And I know I moved quick and I know that we covered a lot of ground and we didn't cover enough all at the same time. But my hope is that even in this sobering topic of death, we can acknowledge the bright hope that we have in Christ and find truths that are applicable in our lives today. And so I want to invite you back to join us again next time as we get to the good news and consider the implications of a resurrected Savior in the office of priest. Spoiler alert, Jesus doesn't stay dead. <laughs>